As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to Lean In Leander. I'm your host, Andrew Nadine, and taking a little bit of a summer sabbatical from the podcast, so I appreciate you guys coming back around and picking up where we left off. Um, in this episode, what I have lined up is a conversation about the subject of Cap Metro. Now, over the summer, there's been a couple of articles published that really kind of cover it from a perspective of should we stay in Cap Metro or should we leave Cap Metro? And while that's a starting point, that really doesn't cover the topic in a way that is really comprehensive. And I wanted to add to the conversation and bring some points up to you, my audience, um, for you to consider and make your own decisions on the matter itself. Now, full disclaimer on this particular topic, I personally feel that we should stay in the CAP Metro system. And the reason that I think that is that because I view it more holistically than just a Leander-specific uh, question. I, I view it from a Central Texas and uh, mobility um, perspective because this is more of a regional issue. This is not a Leander issue alone. But we're gonna talk about that and we're gonna to touch on a few of the issue, or a few of the topics uh, that come up in that conversation uh, because it has more than just one specific item to discuss. There's a lot of things that go into this conversation. And I'm gonna to try to bring some of those to the fore for, for you guys and uh, you know to push the conversation forward. So join me, if you will, here uh, for a conversation on Cap Metro. I have a subject matter expert that I think you will enjoy his perspective on this topic as well. So we'll get to him a little bit later in the episode. But now let's dive into some of the facts. In discussing the topic of Cap Metro, I think it's important to take in as much information as possible. I believe that information is the key to decision making and to better understanding the complexities of an issue. Now to start, let's take a look at Cap Metro basically from the beginning. Um, the Capital Metropolitan Transportation Authority is the regional public transportation leader for Central Texas. 
This was created in 1985 in accordance with a chapter of the Texas Transportation Code, Chapter 451. This was established by voter referendum in January of 1985. And the referendum was designed in a way to address mass transportation service for the greater Austin metropolitan area. That particular agency is funded in part by a 1% sales tax. Now, there's been some fluctuation in that sales tax, but it's remained at 1% for quite some time at this point. Now, the Central Texas region is one of the fastest growing areas in the country. As, as we've said many times on this podcast, uh, Leander is one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. and definitely the fastest growing in Texas. So when you start to look at that, you have to look at mobility and traffic congestion as part of your planning process, and those remain a top concern in the area. Now, according to the Capital Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, a 2040 regional transportation plan, um, the total population in the six-county area or region is projected to increase from 1.7 million in 2010 to more than 4.1 million in 2040. Now, when you take that into account, you also have to look at the area jobs that are going to be created as a result, a direct result of that increase in population. And the number of area jobs is projected to increase from around, uh, you know, close to a million um, to almost 2.3 million by 2040. So there's a lot more people here and a lot more need for uh, multiple mobility answers. Not everybody can drive a car. Not everybody can afford to drive a car. So let's take a look at some of the other options that are available and that includes light rail, buses, etc. Again, this is not just a Leander issue. Now, one of the things that I think is very positive when it comes to this is on the board for Cap Metro, the board that actually oversees Cap Metro, there are three individuals who are locally elected officials. And the small cities representative is now Becky Ross. Um, as you all may know, she was elected to the, to the city council in May of 2021. And um, I think that's really, really important because that gives us a direct voice in Cap Metro. Now, I know that's been the case previously as well. Uh, mayor Hill served in that capacity when he was mayor. But I do think there is a fair statement to be made there that the approach would be quite different when you take into account the way Mayor Hill approached this previously and how Becky Ross may approach it going forward. And, and that may be where some of the um, difference in opinion actually lies. It's just if you supported uh, former Mayor Hill, uh, you may feel differently about this. But again, I, I don't want to necessarily over-politicize this particular um, approach. The idea here is that the region needs to take a look at this. And I'll get to that a little bit more in my follow-up points. Now, <clears throat> voting becomes a big part of this issue. And I wanted to recap this one particular point so that we could understand exactly how that vote impacts. Um, again, I make a big deal about registering to vote and expressing your opinion at the 
voting booth. It's super, super important. And there's a lot of things that go into that, and we're not going to get bogged down with that issue. But when you look at this overall, in 1985, when Leander decided to join the Cap Metro group, there was only 70 voters that went to that particular poll uh, and, and voted. And of course, there was a majority, uh, 42 votes. When it came back up for consideration again in 2000, there was only 738 voters who actually showed up at that poll. So again here, a majority of people felt this way. Uh, and, and the reason I bring this up is because we know that historically in Leander, the turnout is very, very low. We know that from the last election that you know only a marginal increase in the number of registered voters um, increase the total votes for our elected officials. Now, that's still far too low in my opinion. And I think here I'm going to take a moment to let people know, hey, if you want to voice your opinion on this, register to vote. Okay? So uh, one last point here is the readership on the red line. What I saw there was that it had steadily increased since 2009 and it had reached its highest level uh, so far in 2019 prior to the start of the pandemic. Now a lot of people will make a point of, hey, the trains are empty. Well, you know, to be let's be fair about that. The trains are empty because there's a pandemic going on and uh, it's, you know, some people don't want to wear masks, so they may not want to um, fall in line with the requirements of wearing a mask on Cap Metro. That again is a different subject matter, but I think it's fair to say that the ridership had been increasing steadily and as the population and the demographics in Leander change I think you see that continue to increase it's also going to be a I believe in my opinion a marked increase now that people are going back to work because again I think there are opportunities here for us to address how that looks in the future in the very short term so again I'll make some of those points later on now the tax rate is always something that comes up in this conversation, so I wanted to break it down in real, real simple terms. Um, the sales tax rate in Texas is currently 8.25%. Now, the state keeps 6.25% of your purchase price. So when you go, you buy something at Lowe's or HEB or you visit Shark Burger, whatever the case might be, you're paying 8.25% tax on top of the retail cost of that particular item. Now. State keeps 6.25, Cap Metro gets 1% of the sales tax that's generated in the city of Leander, and Leander keeps the other 1%. So when you look at that as a dollar spent, it's an additional $0.08 cents on that dollar. Now, State keeps $0.06, cents, Metro gets $0.01, cent, Leander keeps $0.01. Cent, okay? And then if you look at the technicality of that, the state actually keeps 6.25%. But again, this is $0.08. Cents and we're arguing about two cents on that eight cents. All right, so keep that in keep that in context. Now, this was a little harder to find because the Comptroller of Public Accounts does not provide detailed tax receipts for the Metropolitan Transit Authorities. Um, you have to look at the numbers based on city tax receipts, and um, in order to do so, this took a little bit of time. So. I went against the tax receipts provided by the city um, and then also the public record of budgets provided by Cap Metro. 
And I wanted to do a comparison here because the point I want to make here is that Leander has significantly, significantly um, improved its stance within Cap Metro from a revenue generation perspective. Back in 2011, our proportion of the Cap Metro budget was at 1.3%. As of 2020, it's 3% of their total budget. Now, it's important to look at that by the numbers because when you look at how much we're contributing, it's it's 7 million, almost 7 more than 7.5 million dollars in 2020. And taking that same progressive increase in the tax revenues as the population increases, by 2025 in just a few short years, that's going to be over 8 million dollars that we're contributing to um Cap Metro's budget. Now, some people are going to say, well, that's $8 million. That's a lot of money. Well, let's take a look at that in context. Yes, that does seem a lot of money when you take a look at how much tax revenue Leander is giving to Cap Metro. But when you flip that and you look at the percentage of the budget that Cap Metro runs, again, it's 3% now, but it's been just a small portion of that budget over time. So while our contribution is valuable, maybe it's undervalued. And I think that's something that the city can do a better job of expressing to Cap Metro. Hey, we're an important part of your revenue, and we will continue to become a more important part of your revenue as the city population grows, because that growth is here, okay? Some of the other cities that are participating in Cap Metro have a measure of growth, but it is far less than what Leander has. Now, when you look at that increase of growth and you look at the things that come with that, you know, we'll make the point of, you know, had it not been for the, the transit zone, uh, the establishment of Cap Metro, uh, you know, you can call it the end of the line, whatever it is that you want to call it, um, that was very attractive to uh, developers in the area. You, you got the HEB because of that. You got the Lowe's because of that, I would argue. So, and, and a lot of the newer projects that you see coming online that have recently been approved by council are a direct result of that zone. So the most important part of that zone is the North Line development, which we've talked about in previous episodes, and it is a dense urban center that is going to be unique in Central Texas. Because if you look at the way that the line runs, just watch the red line, there's two places where there are dense centers, actually three. If you take the city center, the city of Austin, that's obviously the primary. But then you look at the way that the line runs and it runs to the domain, which has now become a dense urban center. And then the next dense urban center is going to be at North Line. So that becomes, if you want to even look at it that way, a triangle between the three. All right. So that means improvement in infrastructure. That means improvement in um, investment in the area. And developers are going to find that more and more to their liking as this project goes on. So let's take a look at that now these numbers were actually provided in a recent city council meeting by the developer of Northline um, and I took those numbers because I think it's important to take a look at that in context of what it means for that that dense urban center which lies at the end of the red line okay 
So in 2018, or the original plan based on 2018 projections, the property tax value was 182 million with the full build out, that's a finished product at Northline, of 733 million. Now when you look at the current plan, once phase one has been completed, it's 680 million dollars and the full build out of that property tax value now is 2.29 billion. That's an exponential increase in value. And the argument is, should we stay in Cap Metro or should we leave? And I say, when you look at Cap Metro and the importance of that rail line to this project alone, the economic impact of staying in the Cap Metro program is exponential to that of leaving it, okay? And I'm not saying that if you were to actually approve uh, a, a departure from Cap Metro that this wouldn't happen, but it, in, it definitely would not happen at the same level, I would argue. I, I think without that part of the project being in place and a, a full participation, full-throated participation in Cap Metro, um, we lose a lot of opportunities. That opportunity is in, it's just a tremendous amount of money. So you look at the property tax value between 2023 and 2028 projected, this is a 20% projective total of the total property tax that Leander would take in. So when you're thinking about leaving Cap Metro, do you want to give up this 20% increase in total tax revenue? Yes, we're giving some of that to Cap Metro, but this is a tremendous amount of money and it's a very big pie to divide. So let's take a look at what that equates to as far as sales tax is concerned. So this is a projection through 2028 of what that sales tax would look like, which is again where that 1% will come from. All right, so Northline equates to 15% increase in the total projected sales tax here in Leander going into 2028, which is again just a few short years away. Um, it's about a four million uh, dollar increase in just the next three, four years, and that project's not even scheduled to be complete by then. So that's $14 million that we're looking at in projected sales structure. That doesn't include everything else. That's just Northline. And that's a conservative estimate, in my opinion. Um, so this is something that we need to think about. It's part of the argument. It's part of the equation. Now, Cap Metro has also created a lot of other economic incentives for the city of Leander. And I would say two of those uh, pieces of um, contribution to the argument here um, are the economic development opportunities uh, that have come up through legislature. Now there were two bills focused on uh, economic development uh, opportunities in Leander. This isn't talked about a whole lot, but they were passed during the 87th Texas legislative session, this past uh, session, um, House Bills 4103 and 4638. And that provides for us in Leander to capture hotel occupancy tax revenue. And it allows us to create a municipal management district in the city. Uh, this involved uh, bipartisan efforts. efforts. Um, 
John Busey and Charles Schwartner were both involved in that particular process. So Northline um, obviously benefits from this. Um, and so they supported that particular bill as well. This lets us take the entirety of the hotel occupancy tax revenue within a thousand feet of a qualified hotel and convention center project. Okay, so um, currently I do not believe there is a convention center project included in the Northline project, but that could change. Um, I believe that there was some thought for that in the uh, Lagoon project as well. Now, I would argue here that this is great, but the city of Leander currently does not have a convention and visitors bureau. So that would be the first thing that we need to address um, because we would be competing directly with a number of cities in the immediate area, but we have a huge advantage over them. And that would be the aforementioned red line. So if we want to capture that type of revenue, we have to be competitive with uh, conventions. And if we're going to be competitive with conventions, we have to offer something that the other cities don't offer. And that would be a direct, direct, easy to uh, access way to get downtown Austin. So, you know, yes, maybe some of those tax dollars go to Austin, but they would also be here for those hotels that are supporting those conventions and conferences. Even if it was something like the um, Austin City Limits Festival, which pushes people at hotels way outside of the Austin City Limits, Leander would benefit. The Formula One races, Leander would benefit. So you have to take that into account. Now the other thing that passed was the, um, the, the management district, uh, again mentioned before, and this allows us in Leander to um, really take advantage of collaborating on the benefits of that bill um, with the community. Um, this enhances the viability and vitality um, of that uh, municipal district, which would be again Northline, um, to recruit and retain businesses uh, and support this district as it grows. And, and that's something that, that really, really makes a big difference. Even the city manager believes that this district uh, accelerates that trajectory of economic growth and improvement. So um, those two bills combined make a big, big difference for Leander, but only if Leander is willing to take the uh, continued path of investing in the Cap Metro project because it's intricate to those developments. Now there's a lot of things that we can talk about when we talk about Cap Metro and one of the things that I think is something that is not discussed enough is the fact that um, Cap Metro has uh, a number of working partners. And when we talk about the surrounding area uh, in Leander, again, Cap Metro is meant to be a uh, more of a regional um, answer. And so there are multiple partners, not just Leander, there are other partners. Um, that includes, I believe, uh, Jonestown, um, Maynor, um, and a few others, uh, which I don't have a full list here. But uh, surrounding Travis and Williamson County, um, if you look at basically the red line, you'll see which areas that touches, and all those people pretty much participate. Now, there's been some communities that have opted out. Cedar Park opted out. Uh, for instance, I believe more recently, Lago Vista opted out. So they have to find a way to be able to... Um, 
create um, their own type of transportation answers within their communities, and they feel free to do that. I think Pflugerville at one point was part of Cap Metro, and they dropped out. But Cap Metro now works in transit with a lot of those communities and helping provide a um, seamless transition between maybe a, a, a couple of different public transportation answers. The reason that I bring this up is not because of what's going on in the Austin area, but what happened in Houston, I think, is really interesting, and it really relates to this, and it's one of the answers that I think could definitely help us out here. It's already been established in Houston's metro, and uh, through a process, they've created a general mobility program. The city collects that, tw that 1%, the same thing in, in, in Houston, I believe, that it relates to state law. Um, once it's approved, they capture that 1% in um, tax revenue. However, in Houston, what they do is they take 25% of that 1% and they give it back to the surrounding communities as part of this mobility program. Now, that money is used for streets and roadways, bridges and grade separation, traffic control signals, um, sidewalks, hike and bike trails, street lights, drainage, etc. So infrastructure. I think that this could be a solution for Leander as well. If Leander were to look at this instead of like, should I stay or should I go? Even the clash word uh, warned us about that. Um, we should look at it in a manner that we collaborate with our neighbors who are also part of the program and go back to Cap Metro and say, hey, you know what? There's a program in Houston that works very, very well and it helps recapture some of that tax revenue and bring it back to um, the surrounding communities. And if we can do that, that's already a solution that works in Houston. So rather than, uh, you, you know, rattle swords about leaving, let's work together, not only with Cap Metro, but with the other communities and come up with a better, a better plan for mobility. And we can do so and ask Cap Metro to help foot the bill. Again, they're taking the money from us. It's already our money. We just want a little bit of it back to help with some of these issues. So that's one thing that I think could really prove to be very valuable in this conversation. Very valuable indeed, because when you look at Cap Metro in Houston, they have contributed $3.65 billion to the mobility plan since its inception. There's another opportunity that Cap Metro presents for Leander, and that is their commitment to electric buses. Now, recently, Cap Metro has announced that they are fully committed to 100% electrified or electric bus for all of their routes in the greater uh, Cap Metro area. They currently have a dozen buses that are running uh, and already providing service to the city center, but they've made a commitment for about 200 more buses. Now, there's two opportunities, I think, that exist there. Number one would be, of course, if Leander has nothing else, they have a lot of available space right now. And with the growth being what it is, we could very easily go to Cap Metro and talk to them about providing a uh, vehicle charging system or a, v or a bus station, if you will, for those electric vehicles that are serving the north, west, north, and 35 corridor uh, the, the red line corridor, if you will, um, with services, helping Cap Metro bring down the cost instead of having to drive electric vehicles all the way out here. Uh, they could actually house them here and go back the other way. That's one option. Now, 
I know from some uh, information that I've been able to gather that Cat Metro actually owns some land near the um, current station um, that could definitely be used for that. It was also uh, purchased with an eye towards building a turnaround, if you will, or, or, or a train station that could run the other way. And that would also help if you're looking at a couple of different things here, maybe the electric train light rail that we'll talk a little bit about, about uh, more with uh, Lyndon Henry, um, or even just the diesel line. Just the opportunity to not necessarily have to take the, the uh, rail system all the way in and out. It would be a secondary uh, station for repairs and things of that nature that could live out here in Leander. That also creates jobs in Leander. So there's a couple of different solutions that we can actually um, start to look at as opposed to just exiting the system as a means uh, to recapture some revenue. There's ways to create revenue by staying in Cat Metro. And that's just one of the other uh, opportunities I think exists. Now, in addition to that, we could also go after the actual manufacturer of these buses. There's a company called Proterra that is in South Carolina, and they actually manufacture those buses. Now, South Carolina is probably a great way to be able to facilitate the purchase of their vehicles on the East Coast. But if they had a manufacturing facility here in Leander, they could actually service the southern corridor and the west coast a lot more efficiently than transporting those vehicles all the way from the east coast. So we could easily use the Port of Houston to uh, move those vehicles internationally as well. So there are other solutions. We just need to think bigger and think grander than we do typically here in Leander. It's a matter of just putting pen to paper and making the effort. And I think that's where I call upon our city leaders and our city management uh, to uh, explore some of these things. Uh, it's definitely doable. It's been done in other cities. Let's do it here in Leander. In addition, I would ask, what are we doing to reach out to our representatives? Uh, I know that in the city of Hutto, they were given a $1.4 million grant to improve infrastructure. Now, that was infrastructure... I believe it was related to um, uh, grading, uh, and uh, I think it was 79 and uh, FM 1660 in Hutto, where they were actually uh, doing some improvements. So they reached out to federal programs in order to be able to do that, and um, it was Representative John Carter, a uh, judge, I believe is how he is known in the area, um, who helped facilitate that. So we should be having those discussions. We, we know from, from what I've said earlier in the podcast that uh, Representative Busey, along with uh, one of his cohorts, um, has helped Leander capture a couple of legislative wins. But now we should reach out to, uh, as well, again here, I'm asking the city and the leadership in the city, as well as the management of the city. Let's start having those conversations. There's federal money to be had here, especially with this infrastructure bill that will be passed very, very soon. There is an enormous opportunity there for Leander to really, really leverage some of those funds to help with specifically a lot of the issues that we're dealing with right now. Whether we use those funds specifically for transportation and train, which is definitely a big piece of that infrastructure deal, or if we reach out and talk to our representatives and tell them, hey, there's some shortfalls in our budgets because of the way that we are 
investing in the future of Leander. And those federal monies would really, really help us accelerate that process. We could focus that on our infrastructure, our water, and our roads. I think that would be a big, big win, and it's an opportunity waiting to be had for us here in Leander. But we have to think progressively, and we have to think about reaching out to those representatives and telling them what is actually going on in the city and how we can use that, facilitate that, and leverage that for a much brighter future for all of our citizens. Now, I want to discuss this with a little bit more context even still, and I brought in a subject matter expert to do so, Mr. Lyndon Henry. Let's go ahead and uh, see what that conversation looked like. So with me today is my subject matter expert here on Cap Metro, a gentleman by the name of Lyndon Henry. Lyndon, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. All right. So uh, to help people understand a little bit, we talked a little bit about what Lyndon's credentials are, but let's remind folks that uh, you have a Master of Science in Community and Regional Planning from the University of Texas at Austin. So you're a Texas mm -hmm. boy. Is that born and raised, or did you just come here for school? Uh, I was born and raised in Dallas. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, and um, transferred to, uh, to the University of Texas in 1963. Uh, got my bachelor's degree there, went and lived uh, for close to seven years in New York City. And um, actually, that's where I got bitten by the transit bug, by the way. Gotcha. And came, by, came back excited about transit and the possibilities for both, both urban transit and Amtrak. Uh, came back to Austin with my wife uh, then and um, uh, got uh, very, very interested uh, here and um, uh, in, in trying to start something. So that, that was kind of the genesis of it. Cool. And, 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 and part of that start was uh, you founded the Texas Association for Public Transportation back in 1972. So that kind of laid the groundwork, if you will, for community support for mass transit in, in Texas in general. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think I don't know that there was any um, any transit organization when I came here, and uh, very interestingly, um, the uh, uh, transit work that was being done was being done by the Texas Highway Department. It was not TexDOT then; it was the Texas Highway Department, and uh, they had hired a and a major in, uh, highway engineering consulting firm to tell them what they should do in mass transit, and that told they they told them. The, the consulting firms, uh, uh, people told them categorically, uh, Texas could not support any rail transit. Just, you know, it just didn't have the density. You had to have about the density of Hong Kong, actually, to to uh, have any rail. So, uh, you know, uh, Paris and London and Hong Kong and a few cities like that could justify rail. Well, what they didn't, uh, they didn't seem to know or tell anybody was that rail transit was actually already running. There was a little private subway that was in Fort Worth that was actually running and it, it was pretty, it was pretty successful. Um, and uh, after that, of course, uh, the, there you know, was uh, a lot of interest. I, I kicked off a lot of that interest myself because, I, as you said, I did form the Texas Association for Public Transportation, and um, uh, we did a, a one of the first things we did was a major feasibility study for uh, a light rail system for Austin. Uh, okay. We gave it a catchy uh, we gave it a catchy name called Car Trans, and that was an acronym for uh, Capital Area Regional uh, Transportation System. And um, that, that caught a lot of uh, the interest uh, of the uh, local officials, the city council and local politicians like Lloyd Doggett back at that time and Ann, mm -hmm. uh, Ann Richards, <laughs> a few people like that. Uh, so, um, so this was back, this was back in mid 70s. Early '80s, right? Yeah, more more like early early '70s at that time. We're okay. up to about getting up to about 1973 when I, you know, presented the original plan to the Austin City Council. Oh, okay, okay. So this goes way back. Um, it's funny that you would point out that there was, you know, and we all know. I mean, we, I don't try to pretend that we don't know these things because we know that there are other factors in play, and you know, lobby groups and whatever the case might be. I'm not that knowledgeable into the 70s to really understand all of that but we know it happens we know it happened and it's funny that they would that they would yeah at the time kind of resist this this public transportation or this rail as an option when I, you know I'm from Houston or I grew up most of well, I, I raised my kids in Houston let me put it that way and um, I knew in Houston all nine rail lines, Connected in Houston, that was that's that's literally on the Houston city seal is a is a train. Uh, much like there's a a, a big uh, you know focus on train imagery here in Leander, and so that's kind of one of the reasons that we're talking is to kind of help people understand that this is something that's been going on for quite some time, and there's a lot of other factors that lead into the um, what I would call kind of like the the, the foot dragging. On, on rail systems and whatnot. Is that, is that fair? Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, uh, that is. And, and at, at that time, the, you know, there were bigger feet and they were dragging harder. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when I came along with um, a feasibility study uh, that had just pa packed it with facts and evidence, you know, and, and uh, I, th I think pretty good arguments. Uh, and I presented that, um, uh, that was quite a breakthrough, and so the the city council uh, got quite excited about that, 
the the net result of that was to get actual rail planning into the local uh, uh, transportation planning process, which was a okay. doesn't sound like much, but it was a huge step at the time okay. because all transportation planning at that time meant highways. And uh, just so you know, uh, Austin uh, was was slated to have a central expressway that would would ream down what is now the Lamar Guadalupe corridor, which is where the red, where the uh, orange line is going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of a rapid transit line, they were going to have a central expressway. So all of that uh, the West Campus area. And all up and down that area would have been, I, I, I use the term reaming it out because, you know, what, what happens when you put in a major, a major multi-lane freeway down the middle of a, of a city? Mm -hmm. uh, and so looking at that, that was one of the, the major uh, starting points and, and, and uh, pivot points that was used in that feasibility study to say, look, instead of doing this and taking out all these homes and all these businesses and all of this real estate to put in a highway or a freeway, uh, what about a rapid transit line down this corridor? And uh, that's what we're doing today. <laughs> I, I think so. it's fascinating when we start to look at this. I always like to try to peel off the layers of the onion, if you will. And a lot of onion, a lot, of onion, lot of onion here. to go here. Yeah. <laughs> there is a it lot is of getting onion me started. <laughs> For sure. So that kind of takes us to when you were appointed to the Austin-Travis County Mass Transit Task Force around 83, 84. Um, and that was one of the things that led to the creation of Cap Metro back in 1985. So um, tell me a little bit about that process. You know, they, they, I guess the main thing, uh, that was a, basically a committee. The task force was a, just another name for a, a big committee that was appointed by the city council in Travis County. And they, they were interested in, a, in a, a mass transit authority for Austin. Uh, they, they were uh, kind of starting to look um, at uh, what was happening in Houston and in Dallas, which are two, two cities which are both going for, for major mass transit authorities at that time. And... Um, I think I'd already uh, voted, gotten the legislature to approve that for them. And they, uh, you know, were, were saying, look, uh, this would be great for this city, too. So let's let's go. So the big issue in the in the committee, as it turned out, was what what rate of of sales tax uh, should the, the committee should be recommended. And um, the, uh, you know, a lot of other cities, as you may know, like San Antonio, El Paso, Fort Worth, have gone for a, a less than, than the full sale 1% sales tax. But, but um, I, I led the effort to get a, the committee to vote for a full 1%, and that's what we ended up with. And what is, that has done is give the authority uh, lots of money to do a really, really good transit system and be able to have some money to be able to put into a rail system. So... That's excellent. I mean, and I, again, in context, it's important to understand what that really means at the end of the day, because a lot of focus here locally in Leander will be obviously on that 1%. And, you know, I've talked a little bit about that earlier in the episode. So um, understanding why that needed to be done or what the thinking was behind that at the time is important to understand in context. Because while um, arguments will be made that that money could be used elsewhere, it's actually being put to very, very good use where it is today. And um, I look at it in a sense, I, I, I thought about this, this this morning. 
if you didn't have mass transit, let's just say mass transit didn't exist, and any mass transit, I'm not talking about just rail. If a friend of yours came over and said, hey, I don't have a car, I need a ride somewhere, you would probably say, oh, sure, let me take you. So for me, I look at it and I thought about it this morning. And I said, you know what? That's what mass transit is. Mass transit is a ride for everybody and all of our friends. So if you don't have a car, you can get on a train, you can get on a bus, and you can get where you need to go. So I think that's a, a, an easy way to kind of understand what we're doing as a community when we contribute that 1%. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there are other things that happen too. So you're, you're, you're giving people new mobility opportunities, which they do take advantage of, and they mean to not do it every day. Some people say, well, I, you know, I only ride this uh, once in a while. And, and people have to understand that it's there when you want it and when you need it. If there's some big event you want to go to and you don't want to hassle with the parking or, or they, they even have banned parking and you know, said you've got to come by mass transit, there is a mass transit system you know, to uh, be able to do that. And it attracts, uh, uh, it's an attractive way, say, to go uh, uh, without having to hassle with all the traffic it would be an attractive way for people in Leander to come into Austin and an attractive way for people in Austin to get up uh, to Leander. And, and to me, the possibility of, of destinations and events going on in Leander is very exciting. And it's something that uh, a, a good, uh, especially a good rail connection going up there um, would be, would you know, would, would facilitate. Now there is the red line. We'll probably talk about that. Mm -hmm. What I'm, what I'm interested in is that the new uh, electric light rail system that Austin is planning would be interconnected in inter would be, that uh, the line to Leander would become part of that. So, yeah. And I think that's a really, really important point and we are going to get to that, but I do want to make sure I mention a couple of other things before we touch on that subject, because, um, for my audience, I want them to understand really kind of your length and breadth. Obviously, you've been involved with this from the very, very beginning, um, but you were also on the Capital Metro board. You were a member and vice chairman from 89 to 93. So if I have my facts correct, and if, I, if, I, if I've read the history of this correctly, uh, there was a period of time where Cap Metro was in a little bit of flux. It, there, was, there was some issues that needed to be ironed out. And I think your time on the board really kind of lines up with getting things back on track. No pun intended. Uh, well, to some extent. I came in at a fairly early time uh, point in, in the uh, authorities' history. Uh, it got into a bit more trouble after I left, okay. <laughs> actually. Uh, the, uh, but at the time I came in, it had um, uh, just um, completed a its first major examination or analysis of what it wanted to do in terms of a possible rapid transit system. And uh, it had, uh, it was in the process at that time of acquiring the, the rail line going, that now goes out to Leander, uh, which is a former Southern Pacific Railroad branch line, uh, which I had played a, a big part in, in, uh, in, in, in trying to get uh, get use of and, and ultimately to acquire uh, that that included by the way being uh, getting a 
a Chamber of Commerce delegation to go to Houston, meet with the local manager of the Southern Pacific and to see, see about that and so forth. So it goes, you know, there's a lot of activity that led up to that. So we acquired that rail line. We had that. And uh, it was it, uh, having that, uh, they started saying, what can we do with this? Uh, and, and there was a lot of impetus at a time because, you know, they're so used to highways that, well, we could pave it over and run buses on it, you know, and have a busway. So there actually there was a big uh, proposal to do that. Uh, what I did, and, and together with my, my, one of my, my close uh, collaborators, a guy named Dave Dobbs, who recently died, by the way, uh, and several other, other Austinites, in a in the a group called the the uh, transitway corridor uh, 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 action committee, we were able to uh, uh, steer that in the direction of the the best highest and best use would be to put you know have a rail line using that corridor. So that was crucial when you when you say that there was you know maybe some some flux and so forth going on that would be the flux at that time you know right, does right. it does it go with the becoming a busway or does it go with with rail and the and the ultimate answer was uh, the uh, the capital metro board voted that the local locally preferred alternative would be uh, light rail. Uh, using that corridor. So that kind of was a, a major uh, uh, point on the, in the whole process. So there were some other things that happened after, uh, after my time on the, on the board. Um, but um, that was, you know, the big thing that I was involved with at that time. And, and, the, and what you're talking about there is, is your uh, involvement as a data analyst for Cap Metro. Uh, you were involved in community business relations and strategic planning from about 2002 to 2011. Um, mm -hmm. That's really kind of what you're talking about there, the introduction of the concept of a, uh, a light railway, um, obviously the, a joint transit committee, and that's what ultimately led to the red line, right? Yes, uh, I introduced um, the idea uh, of, of having a, a you know, self-propelled diesel uh, uh, kind of operation as a temporary, as an interim um, transition kind of uh, concept to just, you could put it on the railway that we owned, Capital Metro owned, and, uh, and run it and, and also use it as a kind of a demonstration that rail would work. Mm -hmm. And they, that, was, that was generally accepted. No, I, I think, again, now we've kind of taken it full circle here from the start to the red line and some of the issues that came up. But it's, a, it's, been, it's been, I think I could classify this as it's been a constant fight to ensure that this option remains not only tangible, but viable as well. Uh, is, is that fair? I mean, we keep running into this, you know, people think for some reason that the rail is, is just, it's, it's not as... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Intricate of a piece to the overall economic stability and growth of the area. I mean, the way that it's structured right now, obviously there's Cap Metro, but there's the outlying cities, which Leander is part of, that participate in that process. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that we talked about when we talked the other day was the fact that this was really meant, the initial concepts and the ideas behind the rail in the greater Austin area were to tie the communities together in a more functional economic base. Again, is that a fair statement? That's a very fair statement, yes. And very critical part, I think, um, that rail uh, plays. Rail is, is virtually unique in that. I and mean, if you ran a bus, you know, it's very good. That's a good service. But it doesn't do exactly the same thing with the permanence and the ability to run uh, uh, fast on, a, on its own track and, and so forth that a rail system does. Uh, the other big thing that rail, the, the red line, has done for Leander is to very, very tangibly uh, and, and, and obviously uh, attract a lot of development around the station area. And, and there's been, and of course, that big North Line project that's, uh, that's underway that's going to go in there. Those are, are, are tremendous things to have. That is gonna tr- that's going to bring jobs to the area. It's going to attract people from, for, you know, from uh, the Austin and, and, and from, you know, from further east uh, to come up on the red line. They can just, they don't have to worry about parking. They don't have to worry about fighting the traffic to get there. They can just step off the red line, get it over there and, and, and uh, go to restaurants and, and whatever else they have in that big complex that's going to go in. So that is, that's a very exciting thing that uh, the rail line in particular uh, can do and how uh, has already done and to a certain extent around the station area in Leander. Yeah, I mean, anybody, well, obviously, well, my listeners, uh, you know, all you need to do is uh, basically drive to the new Whataburger <laughs> and you see the development that's going on in that quarter where, you know, we've talked about this on previous episodes, but we've talked about, you know, this dense urban center, which is something that it will be relatively unique to, to Leander as, as it relates to the other cities around us when we start looking at the Cedar Parks and the Liberty Hills and you know Pflugerville and Georgetown and whatnot, none of those cities really have that really, really dense urban center. And we, we will be unique amongst that. Um, and one of the, I mean, there's all sorts of options. You've touched on them there. And one of the things when I spoke with Alex uh, a, a few months ago, one of the things we talked about, and this was very COVID related and still very applicable today, 
is that as the reality of work-life balance shifted, the paradigm shifted with COVID, now what you find is that there's a ton of people, you see it on the news every day, that don't necessarily want to go back into the office. So the companies like Indeed and Google and you know Alphabet, um, you know, uh, VBRO, all of these major companies that have made investments, Apple, that have made investments in, in, in Austin are now going to be looking for ways to help their employees segue back to the office. And part of that is going to be satellite officing. Um, we already see it. And it's already something that I know developers have noted. Uh, and they, they are looking to find that class uh, C space outside of the city center. And I think Leander is uniquely positioned in that regard because there's plenty of land to continue to develop out here. We can continue to add a very, very nice residential density and uh, suburban um, area while still having this dense urban area where we can put Class C, we can have offices. You can either drive into your office here in Leander. If you have to take a, a, a train trip down to the main office in, 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 uh, in Austin, you can do so. And I think that's a great thing for our city in the long run. Yeah, and it's a huge opportunity all, all the way around. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is that this development coming into a city like Leander uh, amounts to a huge uh, tax base for the lo for local revenue, uh, which you don't get if you take the if you take that one one percent sales tax and in, 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 uh, away from cap you know the the uh, the amount for capital metro, and if you take uh, you 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 just let the the rail line you say well we we don't really need that let's just discard that. And, and then you put it into uh, whatever garbage collection and, and uh, uh, what, whatever other uh, local needs, which are true local needs and so forth. But if you would do that, basically, you, you're not going to get that that incremental growth of tax base that you get. It is tremendous. It is tremendous. Um, I just did a research paper a couple of years ago that got a lot of attention. Um, in, I did it in collaboration with a couple of other people. And we looked at the, the amount of uh, development and the return on investment from that, that development that is directly associated with the installation of new, particularly new light rail lines around the country. It is tremendous. It is like we're talking about hundreds of percent of return on investment. Uh, just, just amazing. Uh, the amount of, of investment that, that comes, comes back from that. And then uh, so much of that is you know, goes back into the the, lo the local uh, mm -hmm. revenue stream for the for the local city, which you don't get by you know other other uses of that that money that's being spent to operate the authority. So yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, again, I, I think that that's it's super important to point those out. We've talked about this uh, in in previous episodes as well with uh, with multifamily housing how. The, the density of a multifamily housing, what the tax impacts are of those types of decisions are really, really exponentially more so than, you know, any kind of residential development that you can have. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm saying that you need both and that if we can position ourselves as a city to take full advantage of what we've invested in for the past, 
you know, it, you know, since 85, <laughs> basically, um, you know, we should, we should continue on that path. It's, it, it's, it, to me, it feels like we're cutting our nose off despite our face. Um, and that, you know, we would not realize the benefits of those investments over time. But you, you mentioned, again, we talked a little bit about light rail and here's where I want to pivot a little bit in our conversation because you, when, when we talked the other day, you brought something up that I found very, very fascinating, very interesting to this conversation. And it was obviously, uh, I think Project Connect, uh, creating an orange and blue line and several other lines, but we'll fixate on the orange and blue lines which essentially tie the red line potentially all the way down to uh, Bergstrom, the airport. And there's one little thing that we need to kind of maybe address in, in making sure that that happens and we have this full connectivity and freedom of movement. Um, and that's the conversion from the aforementioned diesel, which you said was really meant to be a temporary solution uh, to full light rail. Uh, help me understand what that looks like and, and what you're talking about there. Well, basically the diesel operation uh, is, is, has, has done a lot and has been a way to get rail up and, up and running. Obviously has attracted some of that development we've been talking about and so on. But it's going to be limited. And you are in a tremendous growth area in, in uh, the, the whole corridor that goes out northwest, what's called the Northwest Corridor of the Austin metro area uh, in terms of transportation planning that has, uh, uh, I, I think, the, uh, the second highest population growth of the entire uh, I-35 corridor going north-south through Austin, second highest to that. Um, and uh, it's got the, the highest employment growth. Uh, and so it's a huge opportunity. And of course, uh, Leander, as, as you know, uh, got, uh, got uh, designated as the, the fastest growing uh, large Texas city recently uh, we should be it'd be impossible to ignore that corridor it, it deserves a full-fledged uh, electric light light rail system and be part of that new system that's that's being developed and with capital Metro that system is really at only 15 percent of, of planning right now it's at a stage of 15 percent this is the time to jump in there and try to say look what we'd like to do is fully in, uh, integrate this, uh, integrate the uh, Metrorail red line into that new system. And what this would do is give people in Leander the possibility, uh, if, you inter if you enable uh, the trains to go directly onto the tracks, uh, what's called the orange line that goes up North Lamar and Guadalupe, uh, you'd have a direct line to the University of Texas, the, the West, the, the drag, the, the West Campus, the Capitol Complex, and the uh, the heart of, of downtown Austin, and um, uh, I think that that is certainly worth thinking about. And if you make this part of the blue line, which is going to be the line that connects out to ABIA, the the airport, you'd, you'd have a direct route from Leander straight to the airport. So you'd go straight from from Leander to UT in the in the downtown area, and and you could go straight to the airport. Uh, if you made that connection, that has to be put into the design. Now, I, I want to stress that right now the budget is not there to go in and implement this, but what they need to do is to put that into the design of the system that they're doing so that it will be possible to make that connection. If they don't do that, this will basically pretty well eliminate that for 
you know, a generation or more to come. Mm -hmm. So this is the time to do it. Yeah, no, I think it's, it, I think it's super, super, I, I like to bring up Chicago as an example, and I'm sure you have plenty of other uh, planned examples, um, but I, I'm most familiar with Chicago. My daughter lives up there, so I visit quite often. And one of the things that I really, really appreciate about the city of Chicago is that I can get around without necessarily renting a vehicle, without necessarily having to do, you know, deal with traffic or anything like that because there are lines directly from the airport to the city center and then there are lines that take me from the city center northwards or eastwards from chicago or rather westward west west because you can't go east that's the lake but um but it, there, there's ways to get around in chicago and you don't necessarily need a vehicle and we've visited i've i've done for my son when he was younger i've done soccer camps up there and whatnot where I'm able to take a train to where I need to go and maybe do like at the time, uh, you know, I was doing some of those uh, uh, lock and leave rentals just to drive around in that little area uh, or Uber, Lyft, whatever. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here is that those systems are not necessarily integrated. While they run next to each other, you s most of the time have to jump off of one train and catch mm -hmm. another train. And I want people to understand that's a very, very um effective way to get around in chicago which is a huge city comparative comparative to austin if austin were to think about this it's what what you're basically saying is like hey guys let's plan to connect all this stuff so that we can have a single ride i think you called it a one seat ride yeah um from the red line all the way down to the airport and the blue line which would eliminate that jumping from one train to another for anyone who wanted to do that. And I think that's a great idea. Well, uh, exactly. And, and the other big benefit for Capital Metro is that if you integrate this system, so you basically go over to having one system until instead of two separate systems, you're, you've got a huge savings just by doing that. That's an order of magnitude saving just by eliminating the need for, for a whole separate uh, maintenance facilities and whole separate infrastructure and all of that and a whole separate vehicle purchases, you know, that are they're totally incompatible. Uh, but you, by going to electric light rail, you are having a tremendous operating cost saving. And if, if we can get a capital Metro to realize that uh, I, I've just done, you know, some, some research and, and uh, the few systems around the country, that are run run similar systems to Austin, and using that as a as, as a basis, uh, I've I've done a little bit of, of research. Ba basically, these are places that run in one corridor or another. They have a diesel operated system, just like we do here, mm -hmm. and then they have a light rail. San Diego is an excellent example. They have the San Diego trolley electric light rail system that went in 1981, and then um, uh, sometime in the 2000s. No, remember the exact date, they, uh, they set up in one of the suburbs from uh, Escondido to Oceanside, uh, a, a, something called the Sprinter, which is a diesel powered system, just like, like we have the, the Metro Rail Red Line. The San Diego uh, system is, is almost, uh, the, the diesel powered operation is about three times the cost per passenger mile. And that's that. That is true of several other ones that that are in existence. And and uh, if you compare that to what Austin is paying per passenger mile, uh, we would save tremendously 
by electrifying that line. So it's a big economic uh, advantage for Capital Metro to do that, as well as all these operational things and the convenience to the to the public and the the extra ridership you'd get by people not having to get out and transfer to the from the red line to one of the light rail lines, but be able to just stay in their seat and ride on to you know downtown the University of Texas and or ABIA wherever they're going. I, again, I, I think far too often in in planning and in communal efforts, uh, whether they be economic efforts or you know transportation efforts or whatnot, I, I, I just in my experience I found that far too often the short term thinking seems to be a little bit louder in the room. And, and so you end up with a bunch of short-term solutions, which therein create long-term problems. What we're talking about here is maybe a little bit more of a holistic view, <laughs> a little bit more of a long-range planning process that we think about the things that are going to be affecting us not three years from now, but eight years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. And I think there's so many opportunities here. This is just rife with opportunity to, 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 to piggyback on your conversation about the, the expansion of the electric rail. We know that we're, we're really, really close to having a major federal infrastructure bill passed, which can obviously, you know, from a, from a revenue perspective done correctly could really accelerate this process, I think here in Austin. And, um, We've also got to think about the fact that, you know, uh, when you look at the, 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 the country of China, um, you know, they're closing in on 50% electrified vehicles for personal use. So there's a lot going on here that I think people need to think about and just take off the blinders of what it is that's bothering us today and try to think about a little bit in the future. And, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very happy to have made your acquaintance um, I found everything that you have talked about to be absolutely fascinating and very, very topical for what we're talking about here in Leander today. And, um, you know, I want to thank you for that input. Um, Lyndon, any final uh, words of wisdom to the folks here in Leander as we talk about this issue? Well, uh, if you want to make a, a very prudent uh, choice, for your future in Leander, certainly you'd want to stay with with Capital Metro and and the mobility that it's going to give you in the future. And the the other thing I I want to I want to emphasize is that Capital Metro needs to be have a regional vision. So on its part, it has to go beyond this just thinking strictly urban urban Austin, and think that we are a regional metro city, mm -hmm. and Leander is part of that that regional. Uh, metro environment and and needs to be you know connected interconnected with the with its major new uh, light rail system that it's putting in. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, everything that I've done in in my uh, research on this and in, in other conversations um, have all revolved around that connectivity that Leander has always provided. Historically, you can go back and you can see how important the train was. In Leander, I know we're talking about freight, but it was important because, I mean, really, the, the, the capital itself 
would not have that beautiful pink marble were it not for the freight line that was coming from this area down into the capital area because that's how they moved that brick. And we need to think of ourselves, in the worst case scenario, let's just think of ourselves as limestone brick and we just want to get down to the capital. So um, again, Lyndon, I thank you so very, very much for your time today and uh, appreciate you appearing here on Lean and Leander. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Andrew. We appreciated it. Yeah, no. I, I send me that research paper that you're working on, and keep me addressed as to your efforts. I am um, happy to ally with you and and help out in that regard. Okay, you're going to get really into the weeds with that paper, by the way. But uh, if you want it, I'll I'll send it. That's to you. okay. I mean, there's folks that like to read that stuff, so I'll post it. I'll link it out, and people can do their own dives. But I'll keep right. I'll read it. I'll use it for some light Sunday reading. I'd like to thank Lyndon Henry for joining me and bringing his uh, perspective to this conversation. Um, I know he provided a lot of information that I think people will find very, very fascinating. And I hope you've enjoyed some of the material that I've put together in making the case for staying in Cap Metro. Um, I appreciate the support and look forward to the next episode here in Lean and Leander. We probably won't be doing them quite as often as we were early in the year, but uh, that's really because we're looking into these subjects to give you a little bit better uh, information and a more detailed look at the subject matter. So uh, I appreciate the support look forward to the next episode and we'll see you then. Thanks. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.